if you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 45. Um, and I just want to, I, I want to start from Jeremiah 45 as we continue to read on. And what I want you guys to commit to as we spend our time in reading, as you guys know, this is the read and rant. I read for a few and then I rant for a few. Um, I would like for you guys to be prayerful, to ask the three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? Those are the three questions that I want to encourage you to ask as we spend some time in the reading of the word today. And we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 45. So let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you brought us together. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you brought us for such a time as this, Lord. Lord, in different regions, different areas, different places, Father. There are people from all around the world right now who've come together to hear your word. And so, Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would bless us today. Um, we pray for your wisdom, your insight. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would guide us in your word. Um, as we read it, Father, let us hear your heart. As we read it today, Lord, let us be encouraged. As we read it, let us be corrected. As we read it, let us be convicted. Lord, bless us today, Lord. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and, and go to Jeremiah 45. <clears throat> and it says this. The word that Jeremiah, the prophet, spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, you said, Woe is me now. For the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted at my sighing, and I find no rest. Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I will break down, and what I have planted I will pluck up. That is this whole land. And do you see great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. But I will give your life to you as a prize in all places, wherever you go. 46. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, against the nations, against Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates at Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Order the buckler and shield, and draw near to battle. Harness the horses, and mount up, you horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets, polish the spears. Put on the armor. Why have you seen them dismayed and turned back? Their mighty ones are beaten down. They have a they have speedily fled and did and did not look back. Sorry, for fear was all around, says the Lord. Do not let the swift flee away, nor the mighty men escape. They will humble and fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. Who is this coming up like a flood? Whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. Come up, O horses, and rage, O chariots, and let the mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans who handle the shield, and the Lydians who handle and bend the bow. For this is the day the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall deliver. It shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Go up to Gilead and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain you will use many medicines. You shall not be cured. The nations have heard of your shame. And your cry has filled the land, for the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They both have fallen together. The word of the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come and strike the land of Egypt. Declare in Egypt 
and proclaiming Migdal, proclaiming Noph and Tephanus. Say, stand fast and prepare yourselves for the sword devours all around you. Why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand because the Lord drove them away and made many fall. Yes, one fell upon another and they said, arise, let us go back to your own people and to the land of nativity for from the oppressing sword. They cried here, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, but sorry, king of Egypt is but a noise. He has passed by the appointed time. As I live, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely as Tabor is coming as the mountains and as Carmel by the sea, so he shall come. O you daughter dwelling in Egypt, prepare yourself to go into captivity, for Noph shall be waste and desolate without inhabitation. Egypt is very pretty. Sorry, Egypt is a very pretty heifer, but destruction comes. It comes from the north. Also, her mercenaries are in her midst like fat bulls, for they also are turned back. They have fled away together. They did not stand. For the day of their calamity had come upon them, the time of their punishment. Her nose shall be like a serpent, and they shall march with an enemy. Sorry, which, with an army. Goodness gracious. Let me read verse 22 again. Her, her noise shall go like a serpent. For they shall march with an army and come against her with axes like those who chop wood. They shall cut down her forests, says the Lord, though it cannot be searched because they are innumerable and more numerous than the grasshoppers. The daughter of Egypt shall be ashamed. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Behold, I will bring punishment on Ammon of No, and Pharaoh and Egypt with their gods and their kings, Pharaoh and those who trust in him, and I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. Afterward, it shall be inhabited as in the days of old, says the Lord. But do not fear, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be at ease. No one shall make him afraid. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord, for I am with you, for I will make a complete end of all nations to which I have driven you but I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will leave, so far I will not leave you wholly unpunished. Chapter 47. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines before Pharaoh attacked Gaza. Thus says the Lord, behold, the waters rise out, sorry, rise out of the mouth, sorry, Behold, the waters rise out of the north and shall be an overflowing flood. They shall overflow the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell within. Then the men shall cry and all the inhabitants of the land shall wail at the noise of the stamping hooves of his strong horses, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of his wheels. The fathers will not look back for their children, lacking courage. Because of the day that comes to plunder all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon, every helper who remains for the Lord shall plunder the Philistines to the remnant of the country of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon is cut off with the remnant of their valley. How long will you cut yourself? O oh, you sword of the Lord, how long until you are quiet? Put yourself up into the scabbard rest and be still. How can it be quiet, seeing the Lord has given it a charge against Ashkelon, against the seashore? There he has appointed it. Chapter 48. Against Moab, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, woe to Nebo, for it is plundered. Kerjathaim is shamed and taken. 
The high stronghold is ashamed and dismayed. No more praise for Moab. In Heshbon they have devised evil against her. Come, and let us cut her off as a nation. You also shall be cut down, O madmen. The sword shall pursue you. A voice of crying shall be of Horonaim. Plundering and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have caused a cry to be heard. For in the ascent of Eluith, they ascend into continual weeping. For in the descent of Horanaim, the enemies have heard the cry of destruction. Flee, save your lives, and be like the juniper in the wilderness, for because you have trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken, and Chemosh shall go forth into captivity, his priests and his princes together, and the plunderer shall come against every city. No one shall escape. The valley also shall perish, and the plain shall be destroyed, as the Lord has spoken. Give wings to Moab, that she may flee and get away, for her cities shall be desolate without any to dwell in them. Cursed is he who does work, who does the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from blood. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs and has not been emptied for vessel to, from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him and his scent has not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I shall send him wine workers who will tip him over the empty and empty his vessels and break the bottles. Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How can you say we are mighty and strong men of war? Moab is plundered and gone. Up from her cities, her chosen young men have gone down to the slaughter, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction comes quickly. Bemoan him, all you who are around him, and all you who know his name. Say how strong, say how the strong staff is broken, the beautiful rod. O daughter inhabiting Dibon, come down from your glory and sit in thirst, for the plunder of Moab has come against you. He has destroyed your strongholds, O inhabitant of Aurora. Stand by the way and watch. Ask him who flees. And her who escapes say, what has happened? Moab is ashamed. Sorry, Moab is shamed. For he is broken down. Wail and cry. Tell it to Arnon that Moab is plundered. And judgment has come on the plain country. On Holon and Jaza and Mephatha. Mephatha. <clears throat> on Dibon and Nebo. On Beth Dablathaim on Kirjathaim and Beth Gamul and Beth Maon and Kerioth and Basra, on all the cities of the land of Moab, far and near, the horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, says the Lord. Make him drink because he exalted himself against the Lord. Moab shall wallow in his vomit and he shall also be in derision for he was not, for was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves? For whenever you speak of him, you shall shake your head in scorn. You who dwell in Moab, leave the cities and dwell in the rock and be like the dove which makes rest in the sides of the cave's mouth. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceedingly proud of his loftiness and arrogance and pride and of the haughtiness of his heart. I know his wrath, says the Lord, but it is not right. His lies have made nothing right. Therefore, I will wail for Moab, and I will cry out for all Moab. I will mourn for the men of Kir Hares. O vine of Sibma, I will weep for you with the weeping of Gazer, sorry, of Jezer. Your plants have gone over the sea. They reach over the sea of Jezer. The plundering have fallen on your summer fruit and your vintage. Joy and gladness are taken 
from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. I've caused wine to fail from the wine presses. No one will tread with joyous shouting, not joyous shouting. From the cry of Heshbon to Eleleah to, Je- to Jehaz, they have uttered their voice from Zoar to Horanaim, like a three-year-old heifer. From the waters of Nimrim also shall be desolate. Moreover, says the Lord, I will cause to cease in Moab the one who offers sacrifices in high places and burns incense to gods. Therefore, my heart shall wail like flutes for Moab, and like flutes my heart shall wail for the men of Kiharas. Therefore, the riches they have acquired have perished. For every head shall be bald, and every beard clipped, and on the hand shall be cuts, and on the loins sackcloth. A general lamentation on all the housetops of Moab and in its streets, for I have <clears throat> broken Moab like a vessel in which is no pleasure, says the Lord. They shall wail how she is broken down, how Moab has turned her back with shame. So Moab shall be in derision and a dismay to all those about her. For thus says the Lord, Behold, one shall fly like an eagle and spread wings over Moab. Kerioth is taken, and the strongholds are surprised. The mighty men's hearts in Moab that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. And Moab shall be destroyed as a people, because he exalted himself against the Lord. Fear and the pit and the snare shall be upon you, O inhabitant of Moab, says the Lord. He who flees from the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who gets out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For upon Moab, upon it, I will bring the year of their punishment, says the Lord. Those who fled stood under the shadow of Heshbon because of the exhaustion, but a fire shall come out of Heshbon, a flame from the midst of Sinai, and shall devour the brow of Moab the crown of the head of the son of Tumult. Woe to you, O Moab, the people of Chemosh perish. For your sons have been taken captive and your daughters captive. Yet I will bring back the captives of Moab in the latter days, says the Lord. Thus far is the judgment of Moab. Chapter 49. <clears throat> Thus says the Ammonites. Sorry. Against the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then does Milcom inherit Gad and his people dwell in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will cause to be heard an alarm of war and Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall be a desolate mound. And her villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai is plundered. Cry, you daughters of Rabbah. Gird yourselves with the sackcloth. Lament and run to and fro by the walls. For Milcom shall come into captivity with his priests and his princes together. Why do you boast in the valley, you flowing your flowing valley, O backsliding daughter, who trusted in her treasure, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring fear upon you, says the Lord God of hosts. From all those who are around you, you shall be driven out, everyone headlong, and no one will gather those who wander off. But afterward, I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon, says the Lord. Against Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Timon? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has the wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring calamity of Esau upon him, the time that I will punish him. If gray gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If these by night if these by night, would they not destroy until they have had, they have enough? But I have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his secret places. 
and he shall not be able to hide himself. His descendants are plundered, his brethren and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will preserve them alive and let your widows trust in me. But thus says the Lord, behold, those whose judgment was not to drink of the cup have assuredly drunk and are the ones who will altogether go unpunished shall not go unpunished, but you shall surely drink of it. For I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all its cities shall be perpetual wastes. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an ambassador has been sent to the nations, gathered together, come against her, and rise up to battle. For indeed, I will make you small among the nations. Despise, young men, your fierceness has deceived you. The pride of your heart, O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as an eagle, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. Edom also shall be in astonishment. Everyone who goes by it shall be astonished and will hiss at its plagues. As in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, and their righteousness, says the Lord, and no one shall remain there, nor shall a son of man dwell in it. Behold, he shall come upon the lion from a flood plain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong, but I will suddenly make him run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd? Who will withstand me? Therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Edom and his purposes that he has proposed against the inhabitants of Timon. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he shall make their dwelling places desolate with them. The earth shakes at the noise of their fall. At the cry, its noise is heard. At the Red Sea, behold, he shall come up and fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Basra. The heart of the mighty men of Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. Against Damascus, Hamad and Arpad are shamed, for they have heard bad news. They are faint-hearted. There is trouble on the sea. It cannot be quiet. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrow have taken her like a woman in labor. Why is the city of praise not deserted, the city of my joy? <clears throat> Therefore, her young men shall fall in the streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord of hosts. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the places of Ben-Hadad against Kadar and against the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, shall strike. Thus says the Lord, Arise, go up to Kadar, and devastate the men of the east. Their tents and their flocks shall take away. They shall take for themselves their curtains, all their vessels and their camels, and they shall cry out to them, Fear is on every side. Flee, get far away, dwell in the depths of O inhabitants of Hazar, says the Lord, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has taken counsel against you and has conceived a plan against you. Arise, go up to the wealthy nation that dwells securely, says the Lord, which has neither gates nor bars, dwelling alone. Their camels shall be for booty and the multitude of their cattle for plunder. I will scatter all the winds, those in the farthest corners, and I will bring their calamity from all its sides, says the Lord. Hazor shall be a dwelling for jackals, a desolation forever. No one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam. The foremost of their might against Elam, I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them toward all those winds. 
There shall be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will go. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord. And I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. I will set my throne in Elam and will destroy from there the king and the princes, says the Lord. And it shall come to pass in the latter days. I will bring back the captives of Elam, says the Lord. <clears throat> um, chapter 50 is a very long chapter, but I'm inclined to, uh, to invest the time to read it and, and see where, where we want to go from there. Um, as you'll notice, and this is just something I want to just pause on just for one <clears throat> uh, quick second. Uh, one thing I want to pause on is I want you to see what has transpired um, over the, the reading that we've done. Notice that this is judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. And it would seem fitting for me to actually just finish this out. Um, I'm going to read through this. And you know what? No, I won't. I'm going to leave uh, 50, 51, or 52 for tomorrow as we, not tomorrow, for Monday as we close out on, um, on this, uh, on Jeremiah. And so if you have been journeying with us, you know that we've been reading. And as we've been reading <clears throat> through the entire scripture, we're reading from one book to another book to another book. And what you'll notice is that um, the, the book seems, the Bible seems chronological in nature all the way to, uh, you read through the book of Judges. And then when you get to Ruth, there's an overlap, a historical overlap. And then after you read, then there's um, a continuity there. And then you read through Ezra and Nehemiah. And then Esther has an overlap. And then, <clears throat> and then you read Job, and Job is chronologically, you know, the oldest, believed to be the oldest book in the Bible. And then, of course, we read now the, uh, the Psalms and the, the, the poetic books, all of which then overlap over all that we read up to that point. And so it's, it's good to just continue to paint that picture for you because it's important for you to see where the prophets fit in this. That while all these things are transpiring, while we see the children of Israel become the kingdom of Israel, and then we see the kingdom of Israel split into the kingdom of Israel in the north, and then the kingdom of Judah in the south as a result of David's sin, we see the, the kings, and this is the book of Kings, we see the kings that lead in the nation, over the nation of Israel and how they all continually failed over and over again. And then we see the kings that led the kingdom of Judah. And while there were a few good ones, most of them were. And this goes back to what I've said before is we need to be very careful when we're reading through the scripture and using people in the scripture as paradigms to how we ought to be as people. There's a danger in that because that's not the point of the Bible. The point of the scripture is not for you to Take these people as examples of how you ought to live. That's not the point. There's a bigger story here. There's a grander narrative. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's another point to all of this. Because what we see here is central to the history of the Bible, the historicity of the Bible, are the children of Israel. Abraham, given, given, a, given the covenant, and then from Abraham, you have, um, um, you have Isaac, and then from Isaac, you have Jacob, Jacob to Israel, Israel to the 12 sons, the 12 sons become 12 tribes, the 12 tribes become a nation, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. And then they make this covenant at Mount Sinai, and then from making the covenant at Mount Sinai, they leave Egypt and navigate through the wilderness to now this land that has been promised to them, the land of Canaan where the Canaanites reside. 
want to make sure you guys see this, that these lands aren't so far from each other. I know sometimes we make them sound like they are, but they're not that far from each other. These lands are nearby. These are neighbors. And the Canaanites were also those who were descendants, many of them descendants of Abraham as well. But God purposed something in Abraham through a covenant that he passed down from Isaac then to Israel and now to the children of Israel and this nation of Israel. And he's been passing it down. And now that Israel has come back to the land of Canaan, where they came from in the first place, when they left the land, the Canaanites took over the land. Their absence caused um, their, the void in the land, caused it to be filled with many of these nations that we see here. And when Israel returned, rather than Israel bringing the influence of the law, the influence of the commandments of God, what God called them to be, Israel came back and rather was influenced by the land. As a chosen people, and I want to make sure you guys understand this, because it's a common term that we use today, is this term influencer. We're called to be people of influence. I, I, don't, I don't care if you got, you know, uh, a thousand followers on IG. I don't care if you've got hundreds of thousands of followers, whatever it may be. I truly believe this, that each and every one of you are called to influence. We're all influencers. We're all influencers. We're called to influence and not to be influenced. You want proof? Give me one second, y'all. Let me just put this up real quick. <clears throat> um, I know we give the that term influencer uh, when we think of influencer, we think of someone who has 100,000 followers, a million followers. But do you see yourself as an influencer? Like you're actually called to be an influence, not to be influenced, but to be an influence. What, well, what does the scripture say? It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you're not called to be influenced, but to influence. And I think it's important because there are many of us who don't understand the weight that we have. When he says, go ye therefore into all nations, preaching the gospel, or when he sends us out, he sends us out to be agents of influence. When we come into a land, you have to understand that the land that you come into contends with what you stand for. <clears throat> and I think it's so important because, and this is not to, I'm not here to, to start, you know, to put, push out battle words or anything like that, but wherever you go, there's a contending spirit behind it. Wherever you go, there's going to be points of contention, points of resistance. If you can't face resistance, then you cannot be an influence. Because to be an influencer means you have to change something. Being an influencer is not how many followers you got. Being an influencer is not about how many likes you have on your posts. Being an influencer is not about having uh, how many views you got. Being an influencer is being a person who actually changes a mind and changes a life. You are a change agent. And so if you are going to be an influencer, you're going to change something that means that you are doing away with what was and what was doesn't want to go away. If what was doesn't want to go away, guess what? You are going to face resistance as an influencer. If everybody likes you and no one is contending against you and nothing is contending against you, I've come to tell you, you're not an influencer. If all you get is yeses and amens and no one comes against you, you're not an influencer because you're actually not changing anything. You're actually not changing anything. We have a Christianity today, a practice of faith today that simply wants to please what's there and not contend with what's there. 
I, I don't want to get into these battle words, but this is so critically important. That we will fall or err towards conformity rather than transformation. We'll err towards we're going to go into this region and, you know, we're just going to make sure that everybody likes us. Fam, you weren't here for everyone to like you, fam. You're here to, to evoke change. You're here to change the dynamic. You're here to change the atmosphere. You're here to change the region. You're not here to be liked, but you're here to love. You can love people, love everyone around you, and yet people still don't like you, and that's okay. But don't ever fall into what I would call a people-pleasing faith. Where rather than creating transformation, we fall into conform, conform, confirmation. We want to conform to the region rather than bring influence and transformation to the region. This is so critically important, fam. Because Israel, and this is the whole point that Jeremiah is getting to, and we've, we've, we've been reading this over and over again, but I can't emphasize this point enough is that the children of Israel were called to be a holy people. What does that mean to be holy? They were called to be holy. They were called to be separate, distinct, different people of influence. They were called to be change agents. And yet they went back to this land in Canaan. And rather than becoming agents of change, they were conformed to the culture around them. They became Canaan. I've said this before. You've heard it before. I'm, you know, I'm just here to reiterate that because, again, I can say it in many different ways, but there's so much to really unpack from that. But this is the one thing I will say. What we've been reading here is Israel goes in <laughs> to this land and Israel becomes influenced by this land rather than influencing this land. And as a consequence now, Israel is falling, has fallen. Israel has fallen into captivity to many of those who influence them. It's another conversation for another day. The very people that Israel was given authority over, Israel conformed to, delegating now authority to them over themselves. If you won't be an influence, you're choosing to capitulate your authority. Did you hear me? If you refuse to be a change agent, if you refuse to be an influence, then you're choosing to be influenced. You don't get to passively just sit by. You've got to be one or the other. Either you're an influencer or you're being influenced. If you're going to sit by and just receive whatever comes to you, then you're being influenced and not an influencer. And if you choose to be influenced, what you're choosing to do is you're choosing to abdicate the authority that you've been given. If we have been given authority and we choose rather to let the world influence us, then we have chosen now to allow the world to have authority over us, which is an egregious result in and of itself. I, I can't, this is, this is really the offense that God has with the children of Israel. The offense that God has with the children of Israel is that he's given them authority they are the children of God. He has called them. He has called them and they're his and he is theirs. They have the authority of God and yet they choose to be influenced. And because they chose to be influenced, now they have fallen under the influence and the authority of the cultural moment of the time of the people in that time. I just want to do a quick little side note here because this is important. And again, we're jumping and I, you know, this is just speaking into what I need to speak into today. And I don't get to, you know, take all the theological steps to get there. 
But this, this authority that you've been given to go into the cracks and crevices of society, you have been called to be an influence. You have the power in the presence of God. And if you have the power, the presence of God, you understand what it means for you to be an ambassador of God. To be a missionary. People, when they, when they think of themselves as, as missionaries, they think of them, they think of people that go to the land, you know, on the, to a poor country, or, or they think of someone that goes into this foreign land where they don't speak the language and that people look different than they do. And they think about becoming a missionary. They think about getting on a plane and going overseas, but they don't think about their job. They, they don't think about going to work as a mission field. When, when, when a nurse thinks about a missionary, they think about leaving their job to go out, not thinking, hey, maybe the hospital is my mission field. And maybe I've been called to go there to be an authoritative influence because wherever I go, the church goes. And wherever I go, I bring the power and the presence of God. And if I'm going to go into this land and into this place, then I have authority over it. Ooh, please hear me out, fam. Understand the offense that God has. When you have the authority that you have, the ability to influence and the power that you have, and yet you go there to be influenced. It's like, wait, God, God's going, wait, what did I, what did I give you? Did I not give you authority? Did I not give you my spirit? And now to juxtapose this to what we just read here, Israel has been given this authority and this influence. Yet Israel rather has chosen to be influenced. And so, and doing so has fallen into captivity. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. And so Israel is under Egyptian captivity. Israel is under uh, Philistine captivity. Israel falls, Israel is under the captivity of the Moabites. These are all people in the land, all people in Canaan. The Ammonites, we just read through that. The Edomites, the Elamites, Kedor and Hazor, Damascus. These are all people who Israel has fallen captive to. Which brings another point and something that just popped out as I was spending time in reading. I went, wait, hold on a second. Hold up. I don't know why I never caught this. But I just caught it right now. We've been talking about Israel. Falling into captivity. In Judah. That those who were in Judah fell into captivity. But before Babylon came, many of them were already in captivity. I don't know why I just never noticed that in, in, in Jeremiah's writing. But this series of judgments that Jeremiah is writing, by the way, is written in poetic form, which is another thing I want to just speak into really quickly. It's just another quick side note, another quick point. When God speaks prophetically through people, he speaks prophetically through people in many different ways. He could speak prophetically through a person in word, in speech. He could speak prophetically through a person in art. God has many different channels of communication. He could speak prophetically through a person in song. He could speak prophetically through a person in poetry. Jeremiah is showing you the breadth and his width of creativity. That God is speaking prophetically, but he's speaking prophetically through him, not just in his sermonic approach, but even in his poetic approach. Baruch was the one who would write and inscribe what Jeremiah would speak. And, as, and Baruch wrote all this, and that's why you see how it's written. The word of the Lord came against Jeremiah the prophet and against the nations. The reason why you see it starts like that, a little quick side Bible study note. Sorry. Quick Bible study note here. 
When he says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah against the prophet, notice the beginning of chapter 46 starts like that. Notice the beginning of chapter 47, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet against the Philistines. Notice that in 47. Um, uh, notice it. So you'll notice it over and over again here, how he iterates this, the word of the Lord that came. The reason why it's important for you to point this out is for you to understand that this isn't actually Jeremiah writing it. This is actually Baruch writing it. It's believed that Baruch wrote this and now is transcribing what Jeremiah is saying. So, so Baruch was recording the words, the prophetic word of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah does it in sermon and he does it in song. And he's writing all of it down. This is why you'll see how it's written here. It's very poetic because, again, this is Jeremiah speaking now on the judgment to the nations. Now, I can come up with many reasons why Jeremiah shifted here from, from sermon or, or from a homiletic approach to now a poetic uh, approach or um, an aesthetic word, a spoken word approach. My belief is that is because, again, the Lord inspired him to do it that way. Of course, that's the obvious. But also, I believe the Lord inspired him to do it that way for the sake of reiterating over and over again, because when these were written, they were most likely sung. And these would be sung over and over again by the children of Israel during their time of captivity. Again, even in the midst of captivity, God was giving Israel a song. And so here, Jeremiah is the songwriter, writing the songs, speaking poetically into what the Lord has spoken into, the judgment of God on all these nations that hold and keep the children of Israel captive. But then again, that's, that's neither here nor there. I just want to make sure I pointed that out. The other thing I want to just quickly point out and say here, and this is so important for me to mention, is, is notice all these nations that have judgment. All these nations are not Babylon. These are all Canaanite nations. And, and at the end of these judgments, he speaks into how the Lord will deliver Israel from them. Verse 47, chapter 48, verse 47, yet I will bring back the captives of Moab in the latter day, says the Lord, thus far as the judgment of Moab. In the judgment of Ammon in 49, verse 6. But afterward, I'll bring back the captives of the people of Ammon. If you look later on and notice, almost at the end of each one, he speaks about bringing back captives. Bringing back the captives. Uh, chapter 49, uh, for Kedar and Hazor. In verse 39, chapter uh, 49, verse 39, but I shall come to pass in the latter days that I will bring back the captives of Elam. These people were in captivity before they were in captivity. Just, just think about that for a second. These people were in captivity before captivity. Babylon was just the final straw. But these people were already slaves to the region. Before Israel lost her land or his land or the children of Israel lost their land. They had already lost their place. These people were already captives to the region. Captives to the culture. Captives, captives falling into captivity. Babylon was just the last one. Babylon was the one that everyone would see. Babylon is the one that everyone would know. Babylon is the one that the rest of the world would realize, oh, snap. There is no Israel. Israel has lost its name. And of course, Baruch is inscribing this and he's writing this down as Jeremiah speaks it. So we've been talking up to this point. We've been saying, oh, wait, hold on. 
hold on. Israel has Israel's falling into captivity. God's going to de- deliver Israel from captivity. Israel was already captive to the region that they were called to be an influence in. This is just a question as I'm closing out, but this is just a question, fam. Do you know the authority that you have? Do do you know the influence that you have? I thank the Lord for the Babylonian captivity. Because the Babylonian captivity is the one you can see. But what about the captivity that you can't see? What about the captivity that goes, "Eh, you know, that's not really, I'm not really a captive. I mean, yeah, you know, it's just what's, it's just the cultural moment. What happened to the church influencing the culture? Like what happened to the church influencing cultural thought? What happened to the church being bigger than being Republican? What happened to the church being bigger than being Democrat? What, what, what happened to that? Like what, what happened to the church being the influence rather than the church being influenced? What happened to the church tells us what is true and what is not? What happened to the authority and the influence of the church? What happened to believers? There was a time when believers, you would just know when a believer was around. And when we talk about the church, and I'm sorry, this is another little side rant. I know I got to go. I'm, I'm, I'm getting over time. But when I'm talking about the church, I'm actually not talking about church buildings. I like that you mentioned that, David, because I think this is where really I'll call it the invisible captivity began. It was this comfort that we, let's just go to church on Sunday and, and let's attend church because, you know, that's what we do. And let's just pontificate while we're there, sing a couple songs and then pontificate over the politics and the cultural time. As if that were the church. When nowhere in the scripture, we've been doing this on Patreon. I know my patrons are here. We did a whole Bible study on the fact that everything that you thought is church isn't really the church. A lot of what you grew up on that you said was the church isn't really the church. It's not even in the Bible. Most of the practices that we do, most of the rhythms that we see in our churches, most of the things that we do that we call church isn't actually biblical. It's cultural. But we let the influence of the, of, of the time, the cultural moment, the cultural influence, Babylon, the Roman Empire, the next empire, influenced the church and created an invisible captivity. So the church now doesn't really confront the cultural time. I mean, we don't want to, we don't want to mess anybody up. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. You know, we just want to do our thing here in this building. Babylon is taking over. If there's anything I can say, and I know this is going to sound dangerous, especially from a guy who's a pastor who has a church. And I think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing that church, a lot of churches are empty. I'm sorry if I say it that way. They were dead before they were empty. I don't think it's a bad thing that a lot of churches have closed. They were dead before they were closed. It just looked like they were alive because they were preaching politics. They were preaching the cultural moment. Here's the one thing. Cultures will change. Politics will change. Identities will change. The same way the Democrats used to be the conservatives and the Republicans used to be the liberals. And then over time, the Republicans became the conservatives and the Democrats became the liberals. Even these identities change over time. 
But there's one thing that doesn't change. And that's the kingdom of God. <laughs> so go ahead, throw your toxic masculinity on the church. That's dead. That's just captivity. Throw, throw your toxic politics on the church. That's captivity. Throw all of that. And over time, what happens? It starts to lose power. Because your power is not in what your president says. Your power is not in what your politicians say. The power of the church is not in what the cultural moment says. The power of the church is not even in the diction. The power is in the spirit of God. And when you are led by the spirit of God, you are a son of God. A lot of folks are here are still waiting to go to church, not realizing that they are the church. That you've been called to bring the power and the presence of God where you work, live, and play. And we want to trust in things that don't change. These people have been captive. The invisible captivity, the captivity that we didn't see. These people were already captives. It's just that now Babylon has come to clean up the house. Maybe, maybe I'll call this episode, Babylon is here. And this is the grace of God. As Jeremiah is closing, Jeremiah is exposing why Babylon is the work of God. Because he needs Babylon to wipe out Egypt. He needs Babylon to strike Moab and Philistia. He needs Babylon to strike all these cultural pillars. He needs Babylon to come and just to wipe it all out and allow Israel to learn what it means to thrive under the captivity of Babylon and not think that they rule on the cultural moment. How do I rule within? It's a rant, but the kingdom of God is invisible. The kingdom of God is invisible. And I don't think I'll ever make a TikTok on this. And I'm about to say something else that's dangerous. And then after that, I'm done because I'm over my time. Um, this is going to sound a little dangerous. So please forgive me if I say this. But it's something I've said. I've said this in my church. I've said this in the service. And you're like, Pastor, don't say this. This is dangerous, Pastor. This is dangerous talk. So don't say it like that. But I'm going to say it. The church is an invisible kingdom. It's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. It's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. If only the church would be like ISIS. That's the dangerous statement. Yes, ISIS is evil. ISIS practices all forms of evil. ISIS is demonic. We know all of that. What if the church was like ISIS? There's ISIS in America. There's ISIS all over the world. It's like the cancer that just permeates in the shadows. It's active. It's moving. And we know it's here. We know it's here. (laughs) But you can't do anything about it. Because it's taking effect and influence. What if the church was like that? What if if the church operated as an invisible kingdom? Where's the church? It's in the hospital. It's in the school. It's everywhere. What if we, we we were to infiltrate culture and influence culture? not to be influenced by the culture? What if instead we stop building big buildings to put people in and started building people? Oh my gosh. This is, I'm sorry, this is where I start ranting. And uh, You know, what if the church was the church? What if the church stopped building big buildings and started building people? What if the church stopped collecting money just to prostrate and push their power 
and rather collected resources to help those who were in need? What if the church infiltrated culture and influenced culture rather than being influenced by culture? What if somebody asks, where's your church? And you say it's everywhere. The church was never an institution. It was a body, the body of Christ. And if we would actually be the church rather than go to church, maybe we would see the power of the gospel manifest in our cities. The word exhortation is actually to build up. If we built people up and empowered people, that's what I'm here to do, fam. I'm, I'm out. I know I'm, I'm, I'm way over time right now. I'm out. But that's what I'm here to do. This is why I do this. This is why I'm here. Just so you know, the reason why I'm on TikTok, the reason why I'm on Instagram, the reason why I'm on Patreon, for those who support me on Patreon, you know, this is just the beginning. I'm, I'm just scratching the surface on what I want to do. The reason why I have these platforms and these things that I do, the only reason why I do it is so that I can build you up. I'm tired of you going to church and just being fed and not actually going and being the church. I'm tired of people just doing the same mundane thing over and over again. That gets old. It gets tired. I'm tired of seeing people just sit around and they believe that their church is their denomination. No power. I'm tired of people who say, you know what? I, you know, um, I'm a member of this church. Stop being a member of a church. Be a member of the body of Christ. I'm tired of seeing people. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing people who, who care more about their denomination than they do about Jesus. I'm tired of people who are more about being members of their church or a brand of church than rather a member of the body of Christ. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing people who are more about going to church rather than being the church. I'm tired of seeing people who just want to build buildings but don't want to build people up. I am tired of seeing people who just want to raise up the gifted but don't want to bring up the broken. I'm tired of seeing people who are more about the culture than they are about changing it. I'm tired of seeing that. I'm tired of it. And the moment is coming. When the church is about to rise up and it's not going to look like anything we've ever seen before. It's not going to look like anything we've ever seen before. And the church is going to rise up and everybody's going to ask, where is the church? And people are going to go, it's everywhere. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Every now and then we could show up. We could do hoorah every time. Every now and then we could celebrate. Nothing wrong coming together and praying and worshiping and preaching and all that. But what if that was secondary? What if that was secondary? What if that was secondary, but what was primary was actually what's in the Bible, what the church actually did? I know we're talking about Israel here and we're talking about the judgment on these nations, but you know that judgment came in the form of Babylon. And maybe it's going to take Babylon breaking the church down for the church to really come up. And I say church, I'm going to use it in quotation marks. Another, another thing, if we're going to be an influence, how can we not face resistance? I'm not saying you got to be belligerent and you got to know. That's not what I'm saying. But even Jesus, didn't Jesus say, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? If Jesus said that, wouldn't you presume that Jesus would say something like that, knowing that there's resistance? Jesus would not say, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Unless he knew hell was coming. And I think a lot of people, they want a church that simply panders to the moment, not realizing the church is going to face resistance. If there's no resistance, something might be wrong with that. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. Y'all, I love y'all, fam.
Um, and I'm praying for each and every one of you. And I really believe this. I believe this for each and every one of you. That God's going to empower you to be the church. Like you're going to go and run and be the church. You're going to start your own movement. <laughs> and you know what? If it's a movement of five people, it's a movement that changes five generations. If it's a movement of 100 people, it's going to be a movement that changes 100 family lines. And I really believe this, that people are moving away from that because Babylon is coming. Father, we thank you. Lord, that sometimes things happen in a way that we do not expect, not a way that we would um, anticipate. Father, when we think of judgment, we think of you coming down and, and we think of you striking fire on all the evil in the world. But when we think of judgment, we never think of it as a Babylon that's coming. We don't think of the judgment on Egypt as Babylon that put the children of Israel into captivity, the same Babylon that's going to bring Egypt down and the other Canaanite nations down. Father, we know that you work in mysterious ways. We know that your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. And, and Father, even as we come before you, Lord, we see uh, so much similarity with Israel and your children today. And I just ask, Lord, that you would convict us today, Lord, to, to not do like Israel, not submit to the moment and to the culture and to the people, but Lord, to bring influence to it, to love the people to love those all around us, but Lord, to know that we've also been called to be agents of change. So teach us to be change agents. Teach us to be influencers. Teach us to change, but by the power and by your presence and by the authority that you've given us. And we say that in Jesus' name, amen.